0: These cases I think give lawyers real purpose and a celebratory event as Judge Border says is exactly what adoption is when it goes correctly.
1: This is Lawyer to Lawyer, the award-winning legal podcast with Jay Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. West Coast meets East Coast, and yes, they are attorneys, bringing you the latest legal news and observations every week with the leading experts in the legal profession. Produced right here on the Legal Talk Network.
2: Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen today. I'm Craig Williams from sunny Southern California.
3: And this is Bob Ambrogi coming to you from Massachusetts. Uh, I write a blog called Law Sites and also Legal Blog Watch for Law.com. Craig.
2: And I write a legal blog called May It Please the Court and have a book out How to Get Sued. Bob, today's show is sponsored by Clio, which is a web-based practice management software for lawyers at GoClio.com.
3: And Craig, before we get started, I wanted to extend congratulations uh, to you and to all of us uh, who work on this program. Uh, we have just been named for the fourth year in a row to a, a Bloggy Award, uh, awards that honor uh, the best in legal blogs and podcasts, and for the for the fourth year in a row, we've been named the best legal podcast. So, congratulations to to you and everybody who works on the show.
2: Yeah, well, thanks, Bob. It's quite an honor. That's uh, another award from Dennis Kennedy.
3: Well, uh, today's topic is adoption, and uh, of course, uh, adoption uh, is something that involves and affects not only. The families is involved, but uh, very much involves the legal system uh, and lawyers who are involved in it and the judges who oversee the process, uh, social workers and, and whatnot. Uh, they work side by side with families and in some cases even form lifelong uh, bonds and relationships and even friendships uh, that really uh, can help bring families together.
2: Well, today on Lawyer to Lawyer, we're going to explore a topic we've never discussed as of yet in the last three years. It's adoption. We're going to discuss the joy of adoption, the process and spotlight of the work of attorneys and judges who oversee the entire process.
3: Helping us do that today will be two guests. Uh, Joining us first is attorney Kathleen Hogan-Morrison. Kathleen is a Chicago attorney concentrating on adoption and parentage matters. She handles all types of adoption cases including agency, private, agency assisted, special needs, related uh, intercounty and interstate adoptions. She is also president of the American Academy of Adoption Attorneys and formerly served on its board of trustees. In addition, Kathleen represents parties in contested adoption matters, which are referred to her by other lawyers, agencies, judges, and former clients. She's a frequent speaker and author on issues of adoption, foster parenting, permanency planning, and termination of parental rights.
2: Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Attorney Kathleen Hogan Morrison.
0: Thank you so much. It's an honor to be invited.
2: And Bob, our next guest is the Honorable Bettina Borders. She is the first justice in Bristol County Juvenile Court, Massachusetts. Judge Borders was appointed to the bench in 2000 by then-Governor Paul Salucci. Judge Borders' docket includes state intervention cases, abuse and neglect cases, criminal delinquency cases, guardianships, adoptions, and paternity support. The juvenile court is a rehabilitation court as opposed to the adult court. For the children in her court, there are a number of alternative sentencing projects from drug court to changing lives through literature. On the civil side, she's doing a lot with children in state custody who are aging out of the system. Judge Borders does one adoption of a week just to keep a smile on her face. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Judge Bettina Borders.
4: Thank you very much, and congratulations on your award.
2: Thank you. Well, Judge Borders, can you kind of give our listeners an overview? I mean, there's a lot of lawyers that, that listen to our program and other, other people that may not be completely familiar with how the adoption process works.
4: Well, in my court, uh, it's a little different than uh, the family court in that the only adoptions that I would see in my court are of children who have been uh, removed from their families and parental rights have been terminated through abuse and neglect. So... Uh, these are kids who, uh, through no fault of their own, are in, in the state system. There is a very lengthy, although it's been shortened a great deal, there's still a lengthy process before we can terminate parental rights. Uh, so there are often foster parents, uh, and at the same time that there is a goal toward reunifying children with their birth parents, there's also an alternative plan often going on looking for adoptive parents. So these uh, adoptive parents are identified, and once parental rights are terminated, we can then proceed with uh, the adoption, which can, the child has to live in the home for six months, and then uh, we can proceed with the adoption. I say all that to say it's, it's a very lengthy process that's very trying on these parents that are trying to get these children adopted and give them permanent homes, because uh, oftentimes the adoption will be stayed if there's an appeal. And that can take, you know, another year. So that's how it happens. It comes into the... And then finally, once we actually get through all of that, uh, the, the papers are filed. We have to do an income check. We have to do quarry checks uh, in the court. Of course, the state agency does that also as a private agency, but we also have to do that, be satisfied that these people are really able to financially, emotionally uh, care for these children and raise them. And uh, then we have them come into court, and it's always a wonderful celebratory big deal in our court we make it a very big deal cuz it's been such a long process.
3: Uh, and Kathleen tell us about uh the practice of adoption from from where you stand. What's what's the role of of the advocate
0: in this process? Well, unlike judge borders, I represent adoptive parents in all kinds of adoptions, not only foster parents who are adopting their foster children in the child welfare system, but I also represent adoptive parents who are domestically working with a birth mother across state lines oftentimes. I represent clients who have children with special needs, clients who are adopting internationally. Each one of those processes uh, can take a substantial amount of time, usually not quite as long as the cases that Judge Borders has. Um, The world is slightly different in that the children in the child welfare system tend to, of course, to be um, older and often male, often African-American, because they're disproportionately represented in the system. And the world of infant adoption, which is part of the world that I operate in, um, The issues tend to be more around um, who the birth parents are, the voluntariness of their actions in placing children for adoption. The issues of biological fathers are extremely important because in adoption plans, they are often not in the plan or they may not be known or they may not be um, identified, most of the adoptions that I do are very, very happy things, but occasionally a matter is contested, and those contests tend to be either a biological parents, usually a biological father who was not otherwise involved but who suddenly decides he wants to raise an issue. Or, occasionally, it'll be a biological mother who voluntarily executed a relinquishment of her parental rights and then seeks to revoke it, even though those documents are final and irrevocable under Illinois law. While all of this sounds a little bit strange and unusual, it's a really thrilling world in the sense of these cases, I think, give lawyers real purpose. And a uh, celebratory event as judge border says is exactly what adoption is when it goes correctly.
4: Yeah, I just uh wanted to say this doesn't this this plays into the uh process of getting to an adoption oftentimes in my court. And I don't know about your work in the private world uh Kathleen, but there will be uh open adoption agreements, right? And uh those are agreements that have been entered into with the pre-adoptive parents and the birth parents that involve uh, contact, what kind of contact uh, the birth parents will have with the child after adoption. And those, uh, those contracts are independent contracts, so those, although everything else terminates, those can come back before the court for enforcement if somebody isn't doing what they need to be doing.
0: And the judge raises an issue that I think is extremely important because adoption, unlike many other things, is so local in nature. So, for example, the openness agreement to which she refers may well be legally enforceable in the state that she is a judge. In Illinois, they are not legally enforceable. So there are states where... Uh, People enter into these agreements, but they are, in essence, moral agreements and not enforceable. Another sticky wicket in that as people make adoption plans, it's incredibly important to know what the laws are in each state in terms of when and under what circumstances parents' rights can be terminated. Who, if anyone, can be appointed um, a lawyer voluntarily to represent a party who might not otherwise be able to afford a lawyer? Is there a period of time for people to change their mind and revoke? In the private world, is it possible to pay living expenses on behalf of birth parents who might not otherwise be able to feed and clothe themselves during their course of a pregnancy? I raise these issues because they are really different state to state, and I think it's important that you're Listeners understand that there is no uniform rule about this. There is something called the Uniform Adoption Act, but it hasn't really been enacted in every state. And to the extent that there is uniform laws, it tends to be federal legislation that has to do with specific issues, like people in the military, um, the Indian Child Welfare Act some specific acts, but for the most part, adoption laws are local, state by state. And so I think your listeners really have to understand that and look carefully at their own adoption act.
3: And I and I would assume that the case is very widely based also on the circumstances of, of the people involved, of the families, of, of the adoptive children, and of the ages. I mean, G- Judge Borders, you're saying you, you many of the children that you deal with are, are older. How does the court... Uh, uh, how are they, what's their standing in the court? Are they are they represented, are their interests represented uh, when they come before you?
4: Yeah, actually, I didn't say that, Kathleen did, and I we actually, most of the children that we do adoptions for are probably older than birth, although they may have been with the foster parent since birth and taken at birth. I would say generally the children that we are seeing in adoption are anywhere from two years old, maybe to seven years old. However, probably the most Satisfying, although that's certainly satisfying to see any child in a permanent home that that can support them in the way that you would want your children supported emotionally and financially. Are the older kids? And uh, I, you know, I did an adoption at National Adoption Day last year of a young man who had been in a. Uh, he was uh, turning 17 uh, shortly after the adoption, and he had been in a, uh, a residential facility. A, product of an abuse and neglect uh case before uh the one of the courts in my state I don't I guess it was my court actually and um he had basically spent most of his life in uh in residential placements and while at that placement he he there was a young, um, a man who who worked at that placement uh who he became very attached to and uh that man and his partner the two men adopted this uh, child at National Adoption Day, and he was by then 16 or uh, almost 17. And that was just thrilling because he was on his way to, I think he was going to Colby College, and he was going to be leaving for Europe with the grandparents and the the two fathers that had adopted him. And it was, you know, that he he gave this wonderful talk from the bench because we invite them up about how important it was for him to finally have a family that that uh, you know, everybody in the world has a family. That's a very important thing for kids. And for him to finally have that was really stunning. So the older kids, oftentimes when kids are 14, it becomes very difficult to find an adoptive placement and they haven't lived in traditional families uh, and they have to learn how to do that. So the, the older kids, we don't have a lot of them, but that's a, a thrilling, wonderful op- opportunity for judges to see when we have it. And yes, at 14, they can nominate the person that uh, they wish to have them uh, be adopted by or be guardianed by, or they can object to it. So yes, they do have rights in Massachusetts.
2: What about in the foster system? Do you find that very many uh, foster parents adopt children?
4: Uh, Probably most of the children that are adopted are uh, out of foster parenting situations, However, foster parents have to take so many children that they have to really show restraint in terms of um, wanting to, to, to keep all of these children. I did do an adoption at National Adoption Day this year of a little girl who uh, is legally blind, the cutest thing in the world, and um, her she was one of five children that had been adopted by this family. So it does happen, and that was wonderful.
0: And one of the things that that I have seen to go along with what Ger- Judge Borders suggests is that I certainly have had foster parents who adopt and who adopt in a way that is joyous. I represented a family, for example, who adopted a sib ship of five children, and those five children would never have been able to live together and ultimately be adopted together if this family hadn't wonderfully and, and joyfully taken that on several years before the adoption. So there are some extraordinary people out there who are taking kids, some of whom are relatives, many more are not related to them, and um, working them themselves through the foster care system and then in many cases going ultimately through the adoption process
3: what is the role of the legal system if any in uh, adoption after after the adoption is formalized i mean i've i've read and and heard that there are issues sometimes with with uh, uh, you know uh, children uh, uh families adopting uh, adjusting rather to the adoption uh and that there can be issues that come up uh Shortly after afterward, or even years afterward, does, does the legal system remain involved in that in any way?
4: In my court, uh, the way that—and certainly that happens, and it's called disrupted adoptions here. I don't know what it's called, Kathleen, in your state. The same. Okay. And uh, there is uh, adoption mediation, an effort that where they, there is an effort to try and uh, keep the family together. If, in fact, it, it, it is unable to keep it together, or they're unable to keep together, then— Uh, there would be an adoption, uh, there'd be an adoption surrender signed by the uh, adoptive parent who is now the legal parent, just like a a regular parent who has a child uh, would sign a surrender, surrendering the child to whoever, an adoption agency the state. And so the same thing would happen uh, with an adoption that disrupts. And then the child in my court, of course, would come back into my court uh, for uh, an abandonment uh, issue, and, and we would start the process all over again. Luckily, that doesn't happen all that much, which is not to say there aren't problems, but, you know, there are problems with everybody's kids, and some of them are more extreme than others. And I think what, you know, these kids need to know, whether they're from China or they're from, you know, the streets of New Bedford, they need to know that no matter what, they're not going to be tossed back, that they're gonna they're going to stay there, and you're going to see it through whether it's hospitalizations or uh, timeouts, you're going you're to stick with them.
0: And I think it's important to emphasize that while there are problems, it's not universal. Adoption generally is no different than any other kind of parenting. And for those kids who are adopted out of the child welfare system, I assume in Massachusetts, but certainly in Illinois, the Department of Children and Family Services has an entire post-adoption unit that helps to assist people to get to providers of services. If, for example, there's a need for mediation, there's a need for... um, therapy, there's a need for additional family counseling. No, there are ways to go about that. The the issue of disrupted adoptions happened throughout the adoption world. I think it's gotten some unfair notoriety as if that's a regular occurrence. In the vast majority of cases the adoptions go smoothly. Just like in the private world, people inappropriately often believe that, oh, these cases disrupt all the time, that birth parents come back years later, well, in fact, that's a rare occurrence, and at least in the state of Illinois, laws have changed to make certain that that doesn't occur and that there are indeed statutes of limitation so that families can be formed so that they're stable and permanent and happy.
2: Let's talk about international adoptions. What's the process that goes on? Is a is child adopted internationally? Is a child adopted in the United States? If a child is adopted internationally, how do you get a residency and citizenship and passport and so forth for the child? How does that process work?
0: Um, the short answer is it depends. Each country around the world makes its own individual decisions about whether its citizens can be adopted by others so that not every country in the world obviously is open and available to US citizens but for those who for those countries where um adoption is a possibility there are rules by uh USCIS standards and individual state standards that the um, U.S. citizen must comply with. Depending upon the country, I'll give you an example, China or Russia, there will be a completed adoption that actually occurs in that country. In some instances, I can give you typical examples of Korea, the Philippines, India. In those cases, what is basically created is a guardianship. The child then returns to the United States with the already adopted parents or with the would-be adoptive parents, those uh, countries where the child is already adopted, it is usually confirmed in the United States. For those where there is a guardianship, there is an entire guardianship process here and uh, this country. And there are a number of international adoptions going on, but it's important to note that there are many countries that have basically shut down for this kind of adoption as they kind of assess how well the system is working in their individual countries.
4: If, if I could just, I, I, don't, I obviously don't do international adoptions except that I'm the proud grandmother of an internationally adopted child, <laughs> but uh, I just wanted to uh, go back to the disruption question. You know, I think that uh, is more of an historical problem, because uh, at least in the United States, and I think probably uh, maybe a little bit less so in the international adoptions, although I I don't know, um, there there really has to be full disclosure of these children, of their histories, of their parents' histories. Were their parents, were the children born addicted to, to some sort of drug, and what are the ramifications, possible ramifications of that? So, Most people going into national adoptions now uh, are really very well apprised of who the parents were, uh, if they're known, and what the parental uh, mental health and health history is, and uh, what the child may have suffered early on and what they might be looking forward to. So I think most people go in with with their eyes wide open. That did not used to be the case, and so I think people used to be shocked when things didn't turn out exactly the way that they, they anticipated.
0: And frankly, in the world of private adoption and international adoption, um, there is still a long ways to go because, for example, in international adoption, many times there will be a disclosure of of any health or other issues, but... Sometimes the information given isn't correct, it's inaccurate, um, it isn't provided, so that can be a potential problem. In domestic infant adoption, um, there may be a disclosure about drug use, mental health issues, etc., by a biological parent, but it may or may not be truthful. The reality is there is always some risk in adoption, but I point out to people constantly, there is a risk to having your own biological child. The fact that you think that you're a model of good mental health and don't abuse alcohol or drugs doesn't mean that your child might not be born with challenges. Um, I think the, the bigger issue is knowing that there are therapeutic ways to intervene early on for children to try and assist them if they end up with those kinds of problems, whether they're anticipated or not.
2: Well, we need to take a short break. When we return, we'll talk more about the adoption process and the joy that it brings to not only the families, but also the judges and the lawyers involved. Imagine how much easier managing your practice would be if your practice management software was web-based. Your practice would be available anywhere you have an internet connection, completely secure, backed up continuously, and most importantly, easy to use, allowing you to spend your valuable time building your practice instead of managing technology. Start simplifying your practice today with Clio. Sign up for a free, fully functional 30-day trial at www.goclio.com. Use promotional code L2L for a 25% discount.
1: Don't miss out on the latest and new media marketing opportunities for your firm. Contact Deb Kern at 781-551-9960 and learn all about the Web 2.0 revolution.
3: Uh, welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We are speaking with Attorney Kathleen Hogan-Morrison, a Chicago attorney concentrating on adoption and parentage matters, and the Honorable Bettina Borders, first justice in the Bristol County Juvenile Court here in Massachusetts. I, I wanted to ask about uh, the uh, what are some of the, the, the current issues that are being faced uh, by adoption lawyers and judges. Uh, I know one issue that certainly has been has been uh, talked about a lot is is the issue of uh, same sex ad- adoption. I, I assume that's been kind of working itself out depending on the jurisdiction. Uh, but uh, is that is that an issue that needs to be addressed uh, e- more either legislatively or by the courts? And are there other sort of uh, cutting edge issues that the adoption uh, the legal community is looking at in terms of adoption? Uh, Judge, let me ask you that first.
4: Oh, okay. Uh well you know as you know you're you're from Massachusetts so uh we do not have any um uh, prohibitions against uh same-sex adoptions or obviously same-sex marriage uh and I have actually quite frankly seen a number of uh of adoptions of same-sex individuals and so I I'm, I, I don't know anything about statistics but I would say that the uh, numbers indicate that there is a a, a maybe a greater willingness even on the part of, of same-sex individuals um to adopt uh, uh children out of my court uh, which is you know probably the hardest court to adopt out of um, and in terms of issues you know, there is the National Adoption Act which uh, and Child Welfare Act that was enacted, and the effort was to try and get these cases to move more quickly because kids were languishing in uh, foster care for many, many years, and the cases were not getting resolved. They were languishing in part because every state didn't have juvenile courts and they were at the bottom of the barrel of legal work to do. That's pretty much, um, I think every state now has a, a juvenile docket, so that. Is getting better, but it's still a challenge. These cases, when they come into my court, they are reunification. We, are, we start out as a reunification court. The goal is to reunify these children with their fam- birth families when at all possible because that, of course, would be uh, you know the ideal if it worked. After about six months in my court, the goal changes in my mind. If things have not moved forward, if there isn't a real serious uh, reunification plan, then I start looking toward uh, terminating parental rights if I haven't seen the action that I need to see and the changes that I need to see. Once that decision is made to terminate and the trial has to be now done within a year, and that's really important for these kids. Uh, You can imagine if you have children, if your children were out of your home for six months, that's an eternity. And if they were out of your home for for the child, if you're out of your home for a year, that's even a greater eternity. So we make the decision. Then the child has to live in a pre-adoptive home for six months, as I indicated. And if there's an appeal, it could take a year, maybe two, for the appeal. Those are problems. I know the appeals court gets swamped with these cases, and they are trying to take these cases as quickly as possible to get them decided as quickly as possible. And they've, in Massachusetts, gotten much better. How it's happening around the country, that I don't know. But I am guessing that time and the length of time that these children are without permanency continues to be a problem. We could tighten up on that. Kathleen, I think, probably would have, from a lawyer's perspective, many more um, questions and issues.
0: Well, I certainly agree with what the judge says, but I can tell you that, for example, um, same-sex adoption is not an issue in my state, which is Illinois, but I'm the president of the American Academy of Adoption Attorneys, Every state is different. In our membership, we have uh, lawyers who um, are every day challenging on occasion the laws of their state because they don't permit same-sex adoptions. An ongoing problem is is a same-sex couple adopts a child across state lines. Well, in one state it's considered proper. In the other state it isn't. Or the child is born in a, in a state that does not recognize same-sex adoption, and the adoptive parents thereafter can't get both of their names on the child's birth certificate. That may sound like a minor problem, but it's a huge problem in having a recognition that that child is indeed the parent of that couple. Other areas that I think are everyday problems that lawyers are working on internationally, um, lawyers are looking carefully at... The Hague Convention, which is designed to assist um, and remove the uh, exploitation motives from adoption, but in its efforts to expedite that have actually slowed down international adoption. There are fewer than there used to be. That's an ongoing concern. Um, I told you that in interstate adoptions, uh, there has to be permission given by the bureaucracy in each state. Not every state actively works at it, so that children may be trapped in state A waiting for clearance. We've been working on trying to get um, all of the states to work together so that um, interstate adoptions can work more smoothly. Issues involving the rights of putative fathers, i.e. men who are not married to the woman who is pregnant, but who has not yet established parentage. Many states have what's called a putative father registry. There has been proposed a vehicle by which there would be um, a federal standard of a database so that lawyers working on adoptions can make certain that identified fathers um, have or have not registered so that their rights can be respected, so that they can be consulted, and if they are not interested or show no interest that their rights can be terminated. There are lots of areas where adoption law, I think, is in flux, but I think the most immediate one probably has to do with um, adoptions across state lines because that's an everyday occurrence that that is a problem for lawyers. Uh, On a more upbeat note... I can tell you that many adoptions are going much more smoothly than they did in the past as more and more of the public recognizes the value of adoption and does not treat it as some minor form of parenting. I want people to understand that it's... I wouldn't say it's the popular thing to do, but it's a recognized Means And there are lots of transracial adoptions going on. There are a lot of multi-ethnic, multi families being formed. And for the most part, they're being celebrated. And I think that's a terrific thing to remember this time of year.
4: I would agree with that. If I could just uh, mention one thing, and that's about de facto parents, and I would encourage any lawyers who are working with uh, particularly lesbian couples where one of the women has had the child and um the the other woman has not yet adopted, and they split up uh not as I don't know if all states have de facto parents, certainly Massachusetts does, but it's a terrible thing for the kid, and why right. go through that process and I guess what I'm saying is to encourage the uh non birth parent to uh proceed with adoption uh, as Get that in the works as soon as possible. If this is the, obviously, if they've decided to have a child together, they've decided they're going to be together for a long time. If they later split up, well, that happens in the world, but uh, the rights of that second woman become very, uh, very important um, to have protected.
2: Well, Judge uh, Borders and uh, Kathleen, we've reached the end of the program, and so it's time for us to get our your contact information so our listeners can reach you if they have any further questions. So, um, Judge Borders, let's start with you.
4: Okay. I am in the Bristol County Juvenile Court, although people don't generally talk to judges directly, but uh, my number is uh, 508-999-9700, and my secretary's extension is 661. Uh, of course, the, the calls get Fairly well-screened, but um be happy to talk to anyone who can get past that screening process.
2: <laughs> Good. And Kathleen?
0: Um, Kathleen Hogan-Morrison. Um, I do have a website. It's www.chicagoadoptionattorney.com. It has both my email and my telephone uh, numbers. I also encourage lawyers listening to consult dot adoptionattorneys.org, which is indeed the website for the American Academy of Adoption Attorneys for information about adoption and a directory of uh, credentialed and experienced adoption lawyers in every state of the United States.
2: Well, great. Well, thank you very much for both being on the show today. We really appreciate your involvement in kind of hearing these uh, good news stories before, right before the holidays. And, uh, that, Bob, that does it for this week's Lawyer to Lawyer. For our listeners, remember, you can check out all of our Lawyer to Lawyer shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com.
3: And let me just add my thanks to our guests, uh, Attorney Morrison and Judge Borders, and uh, wish all of our listeners happy holidays, and uh, you as well, Craig.
4: Thank all of you, and thank you. And thank you.
2: Thank you. And we'll be back next week to discuss another great legal topic. When you want legal, think lawyer to lawyer. And happy holidays to all and to all a good night.
1: Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. Every week, a new legal topic that you won't want to miss. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network.